I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Janine Chastain. We're collaborating on curated conversations to explore how the industry is changing. Together, we'll find ways to create new solutions to current challenges while elevating the value of architects. Welcome Welcome to to Practice Practice Disrupted. Hey, Evelyn. Hi, Janine. Hi, listeners. Welcome back to Practice Disrupted. Today's episode is focused on recreating your career in architecture. And this conversation actually started at a coffee shop in San Francisco, where Evelyn, you and I were meeting and talking about our own careers and trying to figure out like, how did we take our architectural education and merge it with our business training to inform the type of career that we wanted to have. So I felt like we've had that conversation many times over the years, but at this particular coffee date, we were starting to sketch out uh, the foundation of a workshop that we were envisioning sharing with other people who, who were having similar questions about their careers. This idea actually became the foundation of the program that we pitched to the Women's Leadership Summit. And it successfully was selected. So we ended up getting pulled in to come and do a workshop. And we asked today's speaker, Laura Weiss, to join us. And together, the three of us developed this program focused on using an architectural education to essentially recreate a career, either in architecture or apply it to a career into another field. When we got to Minneapolis for the Women's Leadership Summit, we were really happy to find out that they, we had two days of workshops and both days the rooms were packed with women who wanted to really talk and dive into these conversations with us. So we used different self-reflection methods and assessment tools that we had also personally done in our own career journeys to talk the two groups through how to think about their personal values and goals that could help them start to design and craft a career experience that was personal to them. Yeah. And I don't want to isolate our male listeners on this. So I actually think a lot of the things that we developed for um, recreating your career in architecture and something that I'm looking for developing and actually turning into some type of full-fledged online course on practice of architecture is is really meant for everyone. These tools are tools that everyone can use. The interesting thing about Laura, not dissimilar from David Fano, an earlier guest on the podcast, is that I'm she's one of those people that I, I actually just reached out to on LinkedIn. So for those of you who don't think LinkedIn is a powerful connector, um, you know, here's here's two testaments to, to the fact that it is. And at, at the time when I reached out to Laura, I was looking for new opportunities. And we actually had several connections through public architecture. She started serving on the board the same year that I left to get my MBA. So we, our paths didn't cross over exactly, but it was enough of a connection to reach out and say, hi, I would love to have a conversation with you. She was also... If you looked at her profile, she transitioned out of her career as an architect and went on to work at IDEO, which I think a lot of architects who think about alternative career paths, IDEO is something 
as a company that continues to pop up on people's radars. So she she had actually a, a very long and successful career as an associate partner and practice lead at IDEO. So after Laura and I had our first coffee meeting in San Francisco, I convinced her to apply to be a director at large for the strategic council at the AIA. And I actually also asked her to help me by moderating the Practice Innovation Lab in 2017. So Janine, why don't you go ahead and dive into the more official bio for Laura? Sure. And you guys are in for a treat. Laura is full of energy and very passionate about her subject matter. As a professional coach, facilitator, mediator, and consultant, Laura Weiss helps creative leaders engage in powerful conversations that drive change. A former licensed architect, Laura spent a decade with the global design firm IDEO as a practice director and associate partner. An expert in service design, she subsequently assumed leadership roles inside a variety of enterprises seeking to build their own capacity for innovation. Today, she leads her own practice, Design Diplomacy LLC, and is an adjunct professor at the California College of the Arts. Laura holds a BARC with honors from Cornell University, an MARC from Yale University, and an MBA from MIT Sloan School of Management. A lifelong learner, Laura has also earned a professional certificate in mediation and applied conflict studies from Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont, and her CPCC Certified Professional Coactive Coach credential through Coactive Training Institute and She is also an ACC Associate Certified Coach with the International Coach Federation. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting piece of all of this and the the why the three of us make an interesting case study is because we all represent different generations in architecture who actually went on and got their MBA um, and, and then have created new career for themselves afterwards. So let's jump to the interview. Welcome, Laura. We're really excited to have you. You are such a powerful speaker, and we're pleased to have you on the show today. Um, We wanted to give you an opportunity to share an introduction about yourself, your company, and the work that you're doing. Great. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. Um, I'm a facilitator, a consultant, and a certified coach. I, I essentially help leaders in the creative professions engage in powerful conversations that drive change. And I primarily do this through one on one coaching with individuals that might hire me directly. I also have partnerships with a handful of large design firms and some tech companies that hire me to coach their high potential leaders and sometimes also small leadership teams or even co-directors or partners. I kind of consider myself a little bit unique in the coaching world because I bring a depth of obviously design experience and design tools into the coaching process, along with skills as a a mediator and some education on the, the neuroscience behind how change happens. Um, so it's a coaching experience that that really blends learning with doing. So yeah, as Janine said, um, you know, Laura, this is the the second time we actually the third time because you helped moderate the practice innovation lab for me uh, that we've gotten together, and you've had a really interesting path to get to where you are. So I I think it would be great for you to share that with our listeners, especially uh, because you you come from an architecture education. Like the two of you, I, I began my career as an architect and, you know, I wanted to be an architect since I was the age of 12, um, which seems to be a common age where a lot of people discover and become, you know, kind of enchanted by architecture. So I pursued a professional degree right out of high school. And because I had an interest in teaching, 
I pursued a master's degree in architecture immediately after that. And I got licensed a couple of years after that and figured I'd be an architect for the rest of my professional life. But as an architect, I, I became increasingly interested in the business side of the creative process, specifically how architects worked with their clients and with the general public and the impact those relationships had on what actually got designed and built. And I think as you both probably can, uh, can attest, it, it, it sometimes can be disappointing or, or disheartening at best. So this experience prompted the first of three career pivots in the, the Women's Leadership Summit. As you recall, I talk about these three pivots um, along this inverted V. And um, the first of those was a return to school after eight years in, in practice as an architect to earn an MBA with a goal of more directly influencing how the business world understood and engaged with the practice of design. And similarly, I had this big idea that, you know, and this belief that I could also bring strategic thinking to the design professions. Now, in the mid-1990s, when I was doing this, uh, it was a, a, a bit of a risky move. Uh, the roles that are now available for designers with a business degree were practically non-existent at the time. Um, however, I was fortunate to find sort of what I call the right sandbox for experimentation at IDEO, which is one of the best-known innovation design firms in the world. And over the course of a decade with them, I worked with clients in a wide range of industries. And with my colleagues, um, I developed new ways to introduce the design tools and methodologies um, that were common to kind of manufacturing companies to Fortune 500 companies in the service industries. I eventually co-founded a practice um, with three other colleagues focused on this new arena and you know, what would today probably be called experience design. The second pivot of the three came when I left IDEO after about a decade to better understand and help develop the capacity for innovation on the inside of those same kinds of organizations who had been my clients. And what I learned is that the most successful efforts did not result from you know, a single big idea, even though that's often what, what is celebrated in the press, especially when it concerns a new technology. Ideas are actually the easy part. You know, we can come up with lots of different ideas. It doesn't mean any of them are going to be viable. And so the real challenge I discovered is in leading the change required to bring a new idea to life. Um, and that requires leadership, uh, organizational leadership, team leadership, and perhaps most important of all, I've discovered self-leadership. And it was this final insight, this, this last insight that, that led to this third pivot that is the current focus of my professional life. Um, and so today I, I think of myself as someone dedicated to empowering the people side of the design and innovation uh, world by supporting the growth uh, of design leaders in terms of their influence and their impact on the world. That is such a powerful story. And I, and I think that it's a skill that's really needed right now in our industry. And I'm, I'm hoping you can talk a little bit more about the prototyping part of it, because you talked a lot about using prototyping to experiment with different options in your career before you made these major career pivots. So it's probably worth saying something first about the purpose of prototyping. Um, it, it's an activity that innovators use to explore questions which inevitably lead to more questions. Um, it's an iterative process. It's a, it's a discovery-driven process. So managing one's career can be extremely fulfilling if you take this approach. Um, you're gonna hear me say this a lot, but a career is really a learning journey. It's not a series of jobs. And so when you find yourself dreaming about you know, what's next, ask yourself, what do I wanna learn next? And that will greatly widen the range of possibilities so much further than just asking, you know, what's my next role or what's my next job? 
And in my case, each of the three pivots that I described um, earlier had something in common. Each was triggered by something that was frustrating me, which led to a question and then a prototype to explore that question before making a decision about what action I wanted to take or what I wanted to do next. And this helped um, much in the way prototyping works and helped me minimize the risk of, of taking that next step. So I've, since giving the, the uh, workshop with you two at the Women's Leadership Summit, I've actually come to label each of the pivots that I described. It, it kind of helps me identify them and think about them as chapters in my career. So the first one, I've labeled integrating design and business because that was the question on my mind. The frustration was the economy. It was uh, 1990 and the Gulf War recession had essentially trashed the construction industry. Um, and, and I was less than two years out of school. And I had never imagined how badly cyclical economic effects like that could affect um, not only an entire industry, but a big firm like the one I was part of. And worse, how ill-equipped the firm seemed to be to be able to handle it. Um, I was I was pretty naive. Um, but, but I was also convinced that part of the problem was a disconnect I perceived between the value architects delivered and the understanding of that value by their clients. So that sort of became the question. And as a result, I started to think seriously about the business side. Um, in other words, the client side of the design equation. I had taken a general management class as an undergraduate, which I really enjoyed. So I decided to prototype what it would be like to go back to school for a business degree. And so I enrolled in a non-degree executive education class at Harvard Business School, which was in my, in my backyard. I was working in Cambridge at the time, and I had a very specific objective. Uh, if I did well and I enjoyed it, I would apply to business school, and that's essentially what happened. I refer to the second pivot as innovation on the inside. Um, the frustration was the low success rate, relatively speaking, of innovation. Um, you know, meaning much of the amazing work we were doing at IDEO, because this pivot happened as a result of my time there, you know, that work never got to market. Um, and it's worth remembering that these were the early days of service design. Um, we were learning what that meant, and our clients were learning it as well. So the question for me was, what's going on inside of these organizations that's creating obstacles to implementation? And I decided to focus on an area that uh, at the time was chronically underserved by design and where I thought I had a pretty good chance of getting a, a role there. And that turned out to be the social sector. Um, this was about 2009 and nonprofits and design firms had yet to discover each other. It was also another recession, coincidentally or not. Um, and so I got a, an introduction to the founder of the Taproot Foundation and the prototype I constructed was a pro bono consulting gig I did for them so we could try, you know, essentially try each other on for size. And, and this eventually led to a full-time role there as a VP of service innovation. So the, the third pivot I call creative leadership because of what I observed at Taproot and at, uh, in, in some other internal roles that I subsequently held um, in, a, in a wide variety of different kinds of organizations. Um, Innovation is something that everybody seemed to talk about as a core capability that they wanted to build. But when it came time to you know, prioritize resources or support resources, the focus always shifted back to sustaining the, the status quo, you know, essentially protecting the core business. Um, and this is sort of understandable because for a lot of publicly held companies or organizations that have shareholders they need to answer to, they need to perpetually you know, lower the risk. Um, and innovation inherently involves risk. 
So this was my frustration. Um, and the question became, you know, what's missing? Because these were otherwise very successful organizations who just couldn't seem to get out of their own way when it came to, 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 to building an innovation capability. Not surprisingly, what was often missing, I discovered was the structural and cultural means to drive change. And, and change happens through leadership. You know, by this point in my career, I'd become a pretty adept facilitator and leader of all kinds of creative processes and workshops. And I started to get really curious about how to work with entities that avoided the most critical of creative processes, which is conflict. And I decided I wanted to get trained as a mediator. Um, but before enrolling in a formal degree program, which I ultimately did, I found a, a local 40-hour certification program I could do on weekends to, to try it out um, at, and at minimal cost. So that became the prototype. Um, and I loved it. And that was ultimately what also connected me to coaching, which it will surprise neither of you to know. I hired my own coach before deciding to invest in my education there as well. So that's essentially an overview of how prototyping has served me well and in guiding the evolution of my career. And Laura, you drew a diagram of these pivots during to present during the Women's Leadership Summit, which I thought was really in like an innovative way to think about your career. So I was wondering if you could share what lessons you learned from taking that divergent path that you talk about. Yeah, yeah. And the diagram is, was the upside down V, right? So this idea of this ever divergent um, kind of path with no top on it, which is kind of interesting. But, um, but yeah, looking back on that journey, I just sort of described, um, I had this interesting realization that every position I held since leaving architecture was essentially created for me. It's, it was really weird, kind of mind blowing. And I realized it, that was possible because first of all, I took this prototyping approach and this very, you know, discovery driven approach, not really knowing what might be next. And I was able to do that because I was clear about what I was looking for, right? I was, there was a learning experience or a hypothesis I wanted to discover or learn more about. In each case, I wasn't looking for a job. And as a result, I sort of was able to put myself in the right place at the right time. There's definitely some serendipity involved in all this. But, you know, I think somebody once said, you know, luck, you know, I'm going to forget the phrase now, but it's sort of a combination of luck and experience, right? And another piece of it is having the courage to follow your instincts. We all have instincts. We all have things that we wish we would do or would love to do, but we oftentimes feel like it's too out there. It's too separate from what, what we're already doing, or we don't have the right experience. But, uh, you know, I, I, I took the clarity and the courage, and I think that's what's been able to, you know, ha allow me to have a career journey that is happily divergent. Yeah, it's interesting to me that you talk about courage specifically, because I feel your last pivot actually happened fairly recently in your career. And I've, I've actually been approached by a lot of people midway through their career that feel that they've dedicated so much time to architecture now, how could they ever consider doing something other than what they've already been doing? So you know, now that you've done career coaching and a self-assessment for yourself to gain more knowledge about your own journey that you talked about, what observations can you share from pursuing those experiences and the value of pursuing outside help maybe to, to get that courage or, or get people over this thought process that they've committed so much time to one area that they can't make the switch? Yeah. And, and by the way, I, I had that, that the very first pivot um, it is it was the hardest because it was essentially 
I was essentially walking away from, you know, seven years of essentially gold-plated uh, education and, you know, licensure. And I had taught at the university level and, you know, eight years of practice. And I, you know, all that investment, how do you walk away from it? So I, I've been there. Um, and, and my response to your question is, starts with sort of the idea that anything you can do to gain some self-awareness is sort of key. And that's going to sound a little bit wishy-washy. So let me explain how that connects also to what, you know, what the, the beauty of coaching is. You know, self-awareness is at the heart of all effective leadership. It's very hard to be an effective leader if you don't understand what's really, what, what you bring and what's going on with you, right? Yet we rarely take the time or rarely have the resources to, to get to know ourselves. It's also because it can be an extremely uncomfortable um, process because there's just stuff we each have that, you know, we kind of maybe want to let go of or, you know, it's no longer serving us. And coaching is actually an extremely powerful process to support this process. So first thing I'll say is never hire a coach who has never worked with a coach themselves because they can't take you someplace they haven't been themselves. Um, and coaching is a right now still an unregulated industry. Anybody can hang out a shingle and be a coach. And uh, unfortunately, some are more effective than others. So I always like to say that a good coaching experience that's worth pursuing focuses on the future. It has nothing to do with what happened in the past. That's more the domain of therapy. Um, it's very future oriented and it's very much oriented on investing in your own natural strengths in order to grow and evolve. It's not about fixing something or backfilling your weaknesses. Um, and there are three aspects of coaching that I think make it incredibly valuable and that also differentiate it from other helping services such as mentoring or therapy. And the first of these is collaboration. So the, the, the coach and the, the client work together essentially as partners and they co-design a relationship in which the coach creates the space for the client to do this exploration that I've been talking about and, and, and pursue some specific goals. The second is learning. Um, again, a word you're going to hear me say over and over again. Um, coaching is an opportunity to recognize really what's most important in, in someone's life um, and to get really curious about it and to explore things from new perspectives. So back to your question, Evelyn, about like, you know, sometimes we just can't get out of our own way. That's usually a matter of looking at things through only one lens or through the default or familiar perspective. This practice of looking at things through new perspectives is, is incredibly powerful as a way to kind of get that kind of unlocked to happen. And the third is action. Coaching creates a, a safe environment for experimentation and reflection and incorporates accountability for taking small steps into the future. Um, I've learned a lot about adult learning and how adults actually can continue to grow and evolve. The idea of neuroplasticity, that everything is not fully baked by the time you know we're young adults. There, there is a lot of hard wiring going on, but there's also the opportunity to do some rewiring. And the only way that happens, the only way adults really learn is not through just reading or taking a class or, or you know, listening to someone speak. They have to take action on it and then they have to reflect on that action because essentially that is the, and it has to happen on an ongoing basis. So coaching is naturally set up to enable that kind of practice to occur and therefore that kind of, kind of rewiring of the adult brain you know, the truth is no one really needs a coach, but great coaching can be the difference between taking sort of a passive approach to life that perpetuates the status quo or yields only incremental shifts. I mean, kind of like, well, I've 
I, I've invested in our edu education and architecture and here's a practice. I'm, I got to stay in architecture, right? I think I thought that at one point and, um, managed to get around it. So coaching is a difference between, you know, that just acceptance of the status quo and taking a more active approach that really enables some kind of transformative change. So Laura, can you share with us what you're currently seeing from your clients and professional friends who are thinking about pursuing an alternative path? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's interesting. A common behavior um, I'm seeing is this rush to find the next thing. There's kind of a panic that sometimes sets in when someone realizes that something has to change or it's already changed and they need to react to it. And again, back to the neuroscience, this happens because the, you know, the human brain is designed to solve problems. Um, unfortunately, our default mode is oftentimes to see everything as like an enormous problem. And it, it, we blow it all out of proportion because, again, anything that threatens us, even if it's our, you know, our ego or sense of self, there may not be an actual threat, triggers um, our brain to sort of go full on in, in terms of you know, trying to fix that or remove that problem. And on top of that, we each have our own sort of well-developed well habits for dealing um, with problems that are rooted deep in our kind of individual identities and experiences, as I mentioned earlier, sort of rooted sometimes in, in childhood. Um, so they've been with us for a long time in their habits. And I'd say, so on top of all that, and on top of just being humans, designers, indeed, like all professional service providers, make their living by solving problems. So when we're faced with an issue, a challenge, a dilemma, we kind of head straight to solutioning, right? It's, it's like our happy place. Unfortunately, I think this default mode can cause problems when it comes to our own development, especially around things like a you know, career trajectory. There's a risk of simply moving from like having a job to finding a job without any exploration in between. And I had an interesting insight the other day that this is actually playing out on a much larger stage right now with the tragedy of racial injustice. You know, there's this compulsion to go straight to sometimes seemingly superficial solutions, right? Let's, let's make a big statement. Let's offer some new training, introduce some new policies, make some financial donations. And while all of those things are wonderful and taking action just in general um, is not inherently bad, sometimes these kinds of reactions are unconscious attempts to sort of make a problem go away instead of actually spending time learning why is it a problem in the first place? Um, what is going on systemically, that's true in the case of, of racial injustice. It's actually true in the case of us as individuals trying to figure out what's next for us. In the case of our own careers, you know, we can ask the question, do we just want to get the next job or do we want to discover how our next role could be truly meaningful, right? Because our work is part of a bigger system of self um, that values more than just a steady paycheck. There's all sorts of other things that provide meaning and fulfillment in our lives. So. What I'm, what I'm seeing in, in what's become part of my coaching is this need to go from an awareness that something needs to change back to the career thing. You know, we want, we want or need to take the next step in our professional journey to an understanding of why we are where we are and where we really want to go next. So I find myself guiding my clients away from a next step that looks like, you know, it's just about finding a job, right? The tactics around networking and resume writing, which I don't do, right? Um, but, but that's what's on people's minds, that level of, you know, tactics. And instead, encouraging them to take a pause, you know, pause for reflection and exploration. 
And to be clear, this is not about having resources, as in, I have enough money in the bank to take time off and figure out what's next for me in this kind of leisurely manner. It's about using your time smartly and making this an ongoing practice, um, an ongoing practice of, of exploration and curiosity, not just something you need to do reactively when your, your back is against the wall. You know, at the end of the day, it's really about slowing down, which sometimes seems counterintuitive when it comes to things like jobs, and it's about being thoughtful. You know, do we want to continue down the current path or do we want to wish for, you know, do we really wish for something else? And here it's worth adding that this is not about being right or wrong um, with your next move. There actually is no single path to professional success. And by the way, you get to define what success looks like, um, which is, again, another hard thing to do because we've been socialized to believe that success looks like certain things along the way. What it is about is about being deliberate and being honest with yourself, right? It's back to that clarity and courage. Um, it's, it's about learning. So that's a, a long answer to the question about what, we're, what I'm seeing um, from people who are you know, looking, looking at what's next for them on their career path. So Laura, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how you're specifically helping creative professionals with their careers in your new business? Yeah, great. So um, interesting enough, I don't consider myself a career coach. I, I consider myself sort of a whole life coach because I, I kind of think of career as part of a system that is comprised of many aspects of our lives, right? So the question is really this, how do I help people actively manage change? Because, you know, a change in a career might trigger a change in professional life or vice versa, or where one lives or how we want to spend our free time. So it's about kind of actively managing change. So if we build off of the idea I, I, I talked about just a moment ago about, you know, building in that pause for reflection between awareness that I want to make a change happen and actually doing something about it, once you release yourself from that idea of I have to just solve the problem, like as in I need to get a new job right now, you can set yourself onto a path where you will likely find a, a better fit that maybe is more fulfilling, not just another job that, that pays the rent. So that doesn't mean, you know, we're always looking for our dream job. In fact, I don't think that such a thing actually exists, but you're just looking for that one next step. What's the one step in the best direction for you? Again, remember, it's all about learning and there is no right or wrong. It's a, it's a process of examining your current situation. This is a theme I mentioned before. Um, and maybe letting yourself be a little bit uncomfortable with what you might discover uh, about yourself and, and be open to what you might learn, right? There's wisdom deep inside of us that we just, it's just waiting, you know, to be discovered, but we don't usually have the time or the resources to kind of meaning the skills to sort of tap into that. And so, that's a lot of what, uh, what I do as part of my coaching practice. Now, because your audience is a, are, are a lot of designers, I've actually come to believe that designers have an advantage when it comes to this kind of exploration um, and that they can kind of put the training and skills they apply to their work with their clients to work for themselves. So things like being curious, making you know, observations, brainstorming and prototyping, and of course, this amazing ability to imagine um, a better future, right? These are all things that are part of the design process. And it's sort of what we need to do for ourselves. So it's important to be able to lead ourselves during that process, meaning we also need to manage anxiety and stress that's inevitably sometimes part of um, dealing with difficult times such as we're in now. Um, because again, as I continue to geek out on neuroscience, I've learned that you know, physiologically, 
if we are under stress, right, if the hormone cortisol has been released and is coursing through our bodies, it actually inhibits our ability to be creative and to think creatively because our body's in like, you know, survival mode. And so the ability to learn how to sort of self-manage, calm oneself down is a part of this process also. And then I'll, I'll just add that, you know, back to this idea of we, it's part of, you know, shifting our perspective, right? Because that shift in perspective or taking a different mindset and looking at what's going on right now, um, especially during this time of extreme uncertainty where people have either lost their jobs or their jobs look like something completely different or they're working from home with all sorts of other distractions, we can see all the problems um, with that situation, but we could take an alternate perspective and look at it as, as an opportunity, right? Ask ourselves, from a place of curiosity, what, what's here for me now? What's possible in this world? Instead of living in the past, like, oh, it was so great way back when, when we could do X, Y, Z, or a fear of the future that we're assuming may or may not happen. The only thing you really have any control over is the present. And so I, I oftentimes will work with clients to take that alternate perspective, understand what's right in front of them right now, and will help with that um, immediate next step. Laura, it sounds really exciting what you're doing. And and I I guess we want to know, like, how can people get in touch with you if they want to work with you? And can you give an example of some of the stuff that you're kind of exploring right now with your work? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, people are always welcome to get in touch with me through my website, which I think are in the program notes. Um, there's a, um, a form you can uh, easily fill out and um, I will set up a time with you to have a complimentary coaching session or just a conversation. Those are always available um, through through contacting me that way. Um, and, and I work with people on a whole range of topics, uh, usually on this general topic of change. But as you point out, um, Janine, it's, it's a lot of it right now is around career. So maybe by way of illustration, um, I did have an interesting recent conversation um, with a prospective client it maybe illustrates the some of the themes I've been talking about on this podcast. And um, this individual came to me after only being out of graduate school for three years. Um, he had a master's in architecture. And at three years, he was wondering how to pivot. Um, that was literally his his request. And and what he had said in, in his original note to me was it just it takes too long to progress in architecture. After three years, I can see that. I, should I get an MBA? Should I go work for a developer? You know, it was an instant, here's the logical next thing. I just need a new job. So, and, and granted, this was just a, a 20 minute call I had with this individual. And the first place we started was really with the question of what did you love about architecture, right? Just sort of taking it back to uh, a, a way to gently reveal the undercurrent of values. Like what really still makes this person run? What makes them what gives them energy, what motivates them. And it obviously to have made an investment in architectural education. There was something about the practice or the discipline of architecture and design um, that, that, that's still there. So we spent some time talking about that. And then what is often, you know, a lot of this is organic, certainly, and you're being highly responsive to what the perspective or current client brings up, right? There's nothing formulaic about this. But we shifted over to from that point of what do you value to, well, what is your dream, right? If, if you could right now do the thing that is really calling to you, what would it look like? And that becomes sort of an interesting free form extemporaneous sort of description, but this individual had no hesitation, right? He had something in the back of his mind. We all do. Sometimes it's, it's moved to the foreground and it's, it's screaming at us. Like, this is what we want to do. 
lot of the times we're holding it back, right? Because it doesn't seem possible. It seems too weird. I don't have the training for it, et cetera. But, you know, getting that out there and getting the individual to articulate that is, is very revealing for them as well. And then you can do this shift, you know, through the coaching of, you know, instead of saying, well, how do you go, let's strategize how to get that job or that role. I, I shifted it back to this notion about, you know, an experience. In other words, what's the next learning experience you need to be en route to achieving that dream, right? What's just the very next thing? Because this person had in mind something that wasn't too far afield from what they currently had training in, but it was different and, and it would have required um, some additional experience. And so all of a sudden, me leaving them or bringing the client to a world of possibility is a huge part of what coaching does as opposed to like, well, let's look at all the things that are not possible or all the things that are going wrong. It's the what is going right. What, what's possible from here, as I said uh, a moment ago. And from that point, we can start to get very granular. This is where the action comes in and actually articulate the purpose of whatever it is you're going to do next, right? With that goal of one step towards the dream. And it's not about income, right? There are a lot of ways to get income, right? Um, and I don't say that flippantly. I, I, I know it's, um, you know, job scarcity is a thing right now, but if you're putting income at the front of the line in terms of what it is uh, that's driving you, you, you won't be driven by your values anymore, unless your value is, you know, money at all costs. And that, that's rarely the case with most human beings. So it's about articulating the purpose of the next move. What do I want to learn in my next role? That all of a sudden becomes very actionable and very achievable because then you can ask the question of, well, where do I go to get that information? Who do I know that I can talk to in my, you know, what's right in front of me in terms of my inner circle, the people I have contact with or even second, second degree contact with that I can start that dialogue with. And it turns out this individual knew someone in the exact role he had articulated as their dream role for him. So it's sort of a matter of, you know, a little bit of synthesis and connecting the dots, but all of a sudden, instead of it being this elusive, I've got to get out of architecture and I don't know what to do next. Again, that's the going straight to the end game. It's stepping back to sort of what, what is that first step? And you do that by understanding what do I want to learn next, not what's the next job I need to have. So I started to think about this, this approach is allowing you to reset your, maybe your career management strategy from one of moving away from something. Like I got to get out of this job. I got to get out of this profession. I got to get out of this, whatever, this firm and reframing it again, shifting the perspective to moving towards something. And that that's going to be much more aligned with individual values than taking the, the kind of the default problem solving approach. That's really great. I, there's so many different takeaways, I think in this entire conversation, and I know you said you, you know, you've, you've said a few of them a lot like learning, but I, I think it's almost necessary to continue to emphasize those points. I'd love, you know, if you were to kind of wrap this up in three or four bullet points, what would you like our listeners to really walk away with? Thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity for that. And, and I had looked back at the takeaways the three of us had offered during the um, Women's Leadership Summit. And I'd say for the most part, they, it's always heartening to say, yeah, these still make sense, but I've maybe embellished them a little bit. So I'll, I'll kind of revisit them here. Um, the first takeaway I'd offer is to just accept that there is no playbook. <laughs> there is no secret manual somewhere that all leaders in whatever your you know, industry or business you aspire to be in have, have, 
kind of discovered and, and utilized. There is no playbook. It is a just, it, we're all figuring this out as we go along, right? And as I've said before, take a discovery driven approach. It's kind of cool if you think about like, we're all in this, we're all still trying to figure it out. Everybody is in the same boat in that way. Um, it's just sort of how consciously are you doing it? So let go of the idea that there's a right way to do any of this and accept that, you know, in the case of your career, it may have many twists and turns, and that's probably what's going to make it sort of all the more interesting. Um, the one thing I'd add to this that I hadn't heard when I when we spoke back in September is um, Marshall Goldsmith, who's a very, very well-known coach. He now coaches other coaches. I, I listened to him speak on a, on a webinar the other day, and he, he said something similar. He said, don't get fixated on the end result, right? Focus on the process, which is essentially the coaching process that I described a moment ago. And I love this other thing he said that we can all say to ourselves at the end of every day is, you know, did I do my best? And, and can I just be at peace with that? Like We're all just trying to do our best. So the second one is, again, a rearticulation of something um, I said earlier is have purpose for whatever you do, right? Notice what gets your attention, what gives you energy. Um, that's going to reflect un- an underlying value or values. And those are the things you should be focusing on or moving towards. You can also notice what drains your energy or leaves you frustrated, right? Because essentially those are things that are ignoring or trampling things that you value. That's why when I talked about the prototyping of my career, starting to recognize the frustration was a key to that because there was something that was not aligned with what I was really meant to do. And that's why I said for me, each pivot was preceded by a question um, that I was intrigued with that gave that frustration some purpose, right? The third thing, a takeaway I would say is like, again, figure out the next thing, not the final thing, right? To use a metaphor, you know, use a map, not an itinerary. You kind of know generally where you're trying to get to, but you know what? There might be a really interesting roadside stand along the way or detour you want to take. And that's the approach, not the, I'm flying from San Francisco to Boston and I don't care about anything in between. Because at the end of the day, you really can't plan or think or strategize your way to getting what you want. You kind of need to live your way there. You need to experience things. Um, And the only way you can experience things is in the present. So looking at what's available to you now is the key to this. Um, The one I'd add that wasn't part of our um, session last fall is just be be courageous and be compassionate. And, And the compassionate isn't just with other people. That's critically important. But be compassionate with yourself. Again, we're all just doing the best that we can. Laura, that's a really great place to land on courage and compassion. And we are so appreciative that you came on the show with us today because I think you have a lot to share with uh, people who are really thinking about these things very seriously. So thank you again for your time and what you're doing. Yeah, you're so welcome. It's always fun to speak with both of you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, I hope that you can all agree with me that really great connections can come out of your LinkedIn network. I virtually, I believe I mentioned at the top of the show that I virtually reached out to Laura on a cold email because we had some overlaps in our career histories, and it's turned into a really interesting working relationship with her, and we've partnered on a lot of different things. So definitely use that to your advantage. Janine, I'm interested in hearing what stood out to you in that conversation, but what really stood out to me is that I want to emphasize that ambiguity is okay, and I especially like how she approached her career as a learning journey. I think 
architects can use kind of a reframing around their career growth in that way. Especially right now, when many people may be pausing to reflect and think about what's next in terms of their career steps, especially during the pandemic, Laura really shared some excellent insight about what she's learned from her journey of being um, okay with ambiguity and adapting the skills of problem solving into figuring out what's next for her career. I think she's a bit of a trailblazer, to be honest, in, in what she's been able to achieve with her career. I want to point out, though, that it's not easy being an outlier, but it can create new opportunities that didn't previously exist. So when Laura mentioned her time at IDEO, when she was actually creating new business lines for her, she was combining her business degree with design long before it became commonplace um, or the cool thing to do, right? Yeah, and I think that we both relate to Laura in some ways because we've both had similar experiences of trying to step off of the path, explore new opportunities, take risks, maybe prototype a little bit in our own way and try to find, you know, opportunities that fit who we are as professionals. And we've sought that out. And I don't think for either of us, Evelyn, it's been a very clear process. It's just kind of happened over a lot of trial and error. And to come back to that, I think it's rarely ever going to be a clear process for anyone. I was one of those kids, not dissimilar from Laura, that knew I wanted to be an architect, literally right up until I became an architect. And that's when everything kind of got blurry and extra hard for me. But the the bigger lesson there is that there rarely is ever a good time or right time to reevaluate your career path. I think it's an ongoing journey. I think that everyone who has really moved forward with any great magnitude has taken a risk at one time or another. And she talked about how you can minimize that risk by prototyping if you need to. The other thing that I think is important is that we tend to get in our own way, right? So I think we need to seek out people who really push you or push push me to realize what we're actually missing or where the opportunities are and use use your network and not just your professional network, but also your family and friends who, who know what you're most passionate about to help you find a new way forward. Exactly. I mean, it's a great example that you were curious about the work that she had done. And so you reached out to her to just kind of ask her about her career. And it's ended up being such a really cool relationship because you guys had so much in common that you were even able to work together later. And all in all, I think Laura is just a really great example of proving that it's okay to explore something new at any point along your career journey. You don't have to just stick with the one thing that you decided when you were 18 and you came out of school. And even when you're on that path, if if it takes bumps and turns along the way, that's okay. I loved her closing thought that she left with us that it's really not about the final thing, but more so about the next thing. And it, it's really about taking those progressive steps forward that leads you to the place that you're supposed to go with your career that finally fits. Absolutely. I agree. And I think that's a great place to end our conversation. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us on Practice Disrupted, a podcast by Practice of Architecture. 
Visit us at practicedisrupted.com to find out more about future episodes and the changing nature of practice. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can learn more about other podcasts in our community by visiting gablmedia.com. If you enjoy the show and want to hear more content like this, you can help us by leaving a rating, review, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to share with your friends and feel free to let us know what other topics or speakers you're interested in hearing about. Thanks for listening and see you next week.